Sukkot really from a perspective both of, uh, of Torah and in a sense for even from liturgy really is the holiday of the season. Rosh Hashanah and Kippur seem to actually be a build-up towards Sukkot. And Sukkot is, in the words of Chazal, Chag. Chag. So we move out to a Sukkah for the entire week. Uh, and we who are fortunate to live in an environment where usually that's doable, where it's not raining or freezing or humid terribly. So usually we're able to live most of the week in the sukkah. And I just want to explore for a few minutes why a sukkah. And I want to preface it with this very famous uh, pasuk uh, from Yirmiyahu, which is taken by Chazal into a different context in the original context, and then taken by later Baalei Drush into yet a different context. It means Hashem says, my word is like fire, and it's like a hammer that breaks apart stone. Now, the simple meaning of this is the power of God's word, and in a sense, the scary power of God's word, and the destructive power of God's word. However, the way that this is read later in Jewish literature is in a very different way, is that God's word splits into many things. Not that it splits things up, but it itself splits up. And that God's word can be understood many, many different ways. And the critical part of it is that one doesn't negate the other. In other words, there are many different ways to understand and lessons to be gotten from God's word. And they're all valuable lessons. Exactly. Uh, so I want to just preface that in, as part of taking exploring together what the what the sukkah is about. So we see in source two the essential source of the mitzvah. Right, we're going to read about it on uh, on next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, and then here in Chutzlarts another time on Friday. There's the essential mitzvah. That's the first time we hear about it. Like the only time we actually hear about the mitzvah, to live in the sukkah for seven days. Everybody has to live in the sukkah. Laman yidu dorotechem, and there's a reason given. Kiva sukkot oshavti pre Yisrael beotzei otam eretzayim ani adonai loechem. You should know that I had or I caused Bnei Yisrael to dwell in sukkot when I took them out of Mitzrayim. Aim Hashem. And indeed, one of the, um, actually, the first halakha that we study in Masachat Sukkah is driven by this. In other words, that the Sukkah is a teaching, a historic lesson, reminding us of a, of a history. And as a result of that, we have to be aware of the Sukkah. So it is, uh, it drives one of the explanations for why a Sukkah can't be too high. Right? If a Sukkah is higher than 30 feet, or than 20 amot, then it's pasol. Why? Because the man yidu dorotechem kivas sukkot. You have to have awareness that you're sitting under schach. And if it's too high, you're not aware of it because it's kind of beyond your even your periphery. In any case, this is the driving reason. But the question is, what does that mean? That I cause Bnei Israel to dwell in sukkot. So we're going to start with the following. We have a mitzvah to live in a sukkah, and the reason given for the sukkah is that we're supposed to remember something about the Exodus that Hashem had us dwell in sukkot. And that's what it's about. But what does that mean? And so, a side question, which actually a lot of people ask sort of tangentially, it never seems to be for a formal question, but it's part of a discussion, is if Sukkot is really about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and 
no, at no point are we claiming that Hashem caused us to dwell in Sukkot in the fall, in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, meaning either the first fall or the second fall or all 40 falls or whatever it is, but that the Sukkot were part of the experience of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, then why the fall? Oh, good. So we're going to take a look. Another another possibility. So why that part of the time of the season? And indeed, the suggestion has been made sort of un- informally. So why not do it with Pesach? Right? In other words, if it's celebrating in Seyat Mitzrayim, then Pesach should be, and imagine having your Seder and a Sukkah, kind of combine everything and put, and put it all together. And of course, we don't. We have it in the fall. And so very famously, it's a very famous machloket that's quoted in the Gemara, but it starts here in the Sifra, in the Torah Kohanim. Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva, student, teacher and student disagree. Rabbi Eliezer, Omer Sukkot Mamash Hayu. Now, the statement seems a little bizarre. Sukkot Mamash. Well, that's what it says, Kiva Sukkot, because he's aware that there's another opinion there which is countering, which is Rabbi Akiva Omer, Sukkot Ananea Kavod Hayu. What are the Sukkot? The Sukkot is another name for Ananea Kavod. Now, you got to stop and ask, where does Rabbi Akiva get that from? Simple read of the text is, Hashem caused us to dwell in Sukkot, and therefore we build a Sukkah. And a Sukkah is a booth of some sort. So where does, where does Rabbi Akiva get this idea from? Yeah? It means a covering, but how does that connect to Ananiah Kavod? We'll see. We'll see that there, there may be actually a textual, a good textual support for Rabbi Akiva's claim, but Rabbi Akiva is coming from somewhere else. What's the operative verb in this Pasuk? Hoshavti. What's Hoshavti mean? I caused you to dwell in the Sukkot. Now, if they are Sukkot Mamash, then who built them? You built them. You came to a certain spot, and evidently you had information that you were going to be there for a long enough time or it was sufficiently hot. You put a few things together and you built a booth to give you some shade or a place to sleep at night that was somewhat protected. Makeshift. So it's not Hoshavti. It's Yashavta. Kiva Sukkot Yashavta. But it's Hoshavti means I caused it. So that drives it as being that the Sukkot are some sort of a divine manifestation or divine gift or divine structure. So Ananiah Kavod is the, is the no-brainer because throughout, say for Bami Bar, that's the description of Shemot and Bami Bar, the Anan travels in front of them, the Anan protects them, the Anan, right? So, so that seems to be where he's coming from. However, we do have another mention which is earlier in Parshat Mishpatim, the first time that we get the Regalim, in Parshat Mishpatim, so you have three festivals, Chag Tishmor, and then Chag HaKatsir, which we call Shavuot, based on Sefer Dvarim, and Chag HaAsif. What's Chag HaAsif? The ingathering festival, right? When the year is over, when you gather everything from the field. Now, if you recall, a number of years ago, I shared Rav Yol Nun's idea about when the year really ends, because if we just started a new year, how can two weeks from now be the end of the year? And that could be the Kufat the end of the year. So the answer is that the beginning of the year and end of the year are not on a date, they're in a season. This is the season where the year turns, what's called Kufat the turning of the year. Um, but in any case, you see that the Torah goes out of its way to say that this is a festival, not only at this time of year, but it's a festival related to ingathering of the crops. So now we've got several different themes running here Although, if you look at the, this mention of the Chag, there's no mention of the Sukkah. In other words, there's a festival that's at the time of the in-gathering. And then there's a separate thing, which is Chag Sukkot, which is on this date, more we're given this date, the 15th of the 7th month. Um, but here, it's 
we're, we're told that it's at the time in which we're gathering our our uh, stuff now. And that more it says it also says right uh, uh, at the same time. So it seems that we have several different things going on, and that relates back to the opening pasuk of is that maybe this is actually built into the Torah that the Torah itself is saying it's not drush. The Torah itself is saying, okay, here's Sukkot. And you know what Sukkot's about? It's about A, and it's about B, and it's about C, and maybe D, even D, and E. So let's see what, what else is cooking here. What was the first part? Because I missed that thing about the fire. No, just the Pasuk in your that Balei Drush liked to quote to say that things can mean a lot of different... Often this Pasuk, is used when a Darshan wants to say something which is different than has been said before. So it's sort of like an apology. I'm not trying to negate what was said before. I'm trying to add to it because Hashem's word can mean a lot of different things, right? It can it can split up like, kind of like looking through a prism and see light refracted, and and all those things are true. The different perspectives on the same ray of light. Where do you draw right? the line? Yeah, that's a good question. So now, by this is going to be the beginning of the journey. It's something they mentioned before. Um, remember that that Hashem says, "I caused you to dwell in Sukkot." in Sukkot when I took you out of Mitzrayim. And so the Machlok in Rabbi Yezer and Rabbi Kiva is that there is a structure called a Sukkah, and the question is, what is that structure? Is it a booth made out of materials, or is it an Anonayakavod, which is a supernatural divine protection? But either way, it's a structure. And that that structure we presume, I don't think assume, but we presume here, is a structure that was built or moved or whatever it is with them through the desert. It wasn't just, you came to one place, you built Sukkot, and you kept moving, but because that one time you built Sukkot, we're going to have this holiday, or the Ananiah Kavod protected you one spot. But it was something that continued through the, through the desert. And then the verb, becomes significant because as I took you out, meaning through the whole process of taking you out. So before going further, I want to ask the question, whenever you talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, what time period are we referring to? What time period are we referring to in say Yitzhak Mitzrayim? I don't mean what, what date in the year, I mean what time period, meaning Yitzhak Mitzrayim is what? Is the minute we cross the border? Like we were in Mitzrayim, we crossed the border, we're out of Mitzrayim, that's Yitzhak Mitzrayim, finished, the next is something else? Or is Yitzhak Mitzrayim when you crossed the border and got to Yamsuf? I'm not looking for a date or even a season. I'm saying what time period, meaning what series of events bounder, bounder the Yitzhak Mitzrayim? What? So in Israel they took Korban Pesach. That's the beginning or that's the end? Or that's it? That's the beginning. Okay, where's the end? Like, at what point can you say, we are in the process of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and, um, and hey, how do you call it, and, uh, and we're not yet in the next stage of whatever life is. Crossing. Yeah, crossing. So you'd say, till they cross Yamsuf. Okay, very good. That becomes problematic because this mention of Sukkot will then only work if we take a look at this first Pasuk. And it's not the simplest way to read it. However, if you take a look here, and you'll see that there are Rishonim who adopt this. But when, when, where, where, where was Sukkot? Yeah, I'm going to see it. Now, the names here are significant. Ramses, which is um, clearly and obviously an Egyptian name, and it's a name that's mentioned as a location, both at the end of Bereshit, when Bnei Yisrael settled, and also as one of the cities that Bnei Yisrael built, Piton Vet Ramses, in the beginning of Shemot, one of the storehouse cities. Um, Ramses is a, a glad 100% Egyptian name. We know what it means, 
and we have kings named that, thing, that same name, and it means the son of Ra. Ra is the sun god. Right? Ra Meses, Benaya, kind of in, in, in Egyptian form with the Lazar. Right? So that's Ra Meses. Um, they come from Ramses to a place called Sukkot. Now, they have not yet come to the sea, which means this Sukkot is on the Egyptian side of, of what was now the canal. They're, they're still in the, on, in Af- fully in Africa, if you will. Okay? So um, they come to a place called Sukkot. Now, what language is the word Sukkot? Sukkot is a Semitic word. It's not an Egyptian word, which is kind of strange, because why is there a town there called Sukkot? Now, there's one very easy answer, which is the town was called Hopai, or some other Egyptian name, and we called it Sukkot. We have that all over Tanakh. Some Jewish man comes and takes a nap in Luz and calls it Beitel. Right? You know, we give places our own names. But this place here seems to be presented as, that's the name of it, which may mean, and the argument has been, has been proposed, that there was actually a non-Egyptian settlement that close to the border of Egypt, which would then mean that what's crossing the border? Crossing the border is from where you move from Egyptian culture, an Egyptian place, into a place which is a Canaanite or Semitic place, which is now no longer Egypt. And that might be crossing the border. And again, the question is, what's Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Is Yitzhak Mitzrayim crossing a border? Is Yitzhak Mitzrayim till Yamsuf? Is Yitzhak Mitzrayim until you reach the goal of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which seems to be Har Sinai? Or is Yitzhak Mitzrayim until you reach the real goal of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which is entering Israel? A good question. And that's very much going to drive what you say here. Because if you say that Sukkot refers to the Ananei Akavod, that could be right when they leave. The Anan is leading them. Take a look at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the page. There's always a cloud in front of them, and this is when they first leave. So you could say that's the Sukkot, or the Sukkot is the city that they come to called Sukkot, because you're going to say that's what Yitzhak Mitzrayim is, but if you say Yitzhak Mitzrayim means a longer period than that, and I'll demonstrate that that's likely the case, at least in some place in the Torah. The Yitzhak Mitzrayim is actually a longer period than just crossing the border. Then you have a lot more options as to what Sukkot. I mean, we're going to see as, about as distant as you can get a little bit later in the Mishonim. The, the, um, the, as an example, you have um, Rosh Hashanah is called Zichron Turah, and then it's called Zecher Yitzhak Mitzrayim. What, what's the Zechel Yitzhak Mitzrayim about Rosh Hashanah? What's that about? What happened in Yitzhak Mitzrayim that's connected to Rosh Hashanah? Which shofar? There we go. So you see already that Yitzhak Mitzrayim, at least in some contexts, extends beyond crossing the border and extends into the Midbar. We're going to see a suggestion that is even further than that, much well, further than that. that's not 100% here. because Why? Yitzhak Mitzrayim gets you to that point of Harsinai, but in the episode at Harsinai, and the Torah says that Zichron Mitzrayim, which means that the remembrance of a blast that was part of the experience of leaving Mitzrayim, so the, leaving, the pride of leaving Mitzrayim means that includes the period all the way up to and including the events of our Sinai and maybe even for, further. So we'll see. How long did they spend in Sukkot? We have no idea. Well, I claim it was just during the day that they continued moving, but they got to Sukkot. And so perhaps the significance of that is that I brought you to your first non-Egyptian place. That's the first step of leaving Egypt. And that's what you're supposed to commemorate. But they definitely Possibly. stay there seven days. No. no. Sukkot, no. All right. So now, um, I mean, it doesn't seem like that from the text. Now, 
um, if you take a look at the Mechilta in Source 6, you will see something parallel to the Machlokan and the Sifra, but now you're going to see something new. Because we all know the Machlokan. Everybody knows the Machlokan. Come up to the guy who parks the car downstairs and ask him, what are Sukkot? They'll say, Rabbalos Rabbikiva, Sukkot Mamash Ramnathod. Everybody knows that. All right? I mean, I taught him. Now, if you take a look at the Mechilta, you'll see Sukkot Mamash Ayu. Right? Sukkot Mamash Ayu, and what's his proof text? Now, what kind of proof text is that? Where's that from? The Yaakov Nasas Sukkota is the pasuk on top of the on the back page when Yaakov is traveling after his um, interaction with Esav and he leaves. He comes to Sukkot, right? What does that mean? He comes to a place called Sukkot. And he builds the place Sukkot, he builds Sukkot there, and therefore he calls it Sukkot. But what's what's really as I get it from that? That Sukkot is really a legitimate place name. So therefore, when you say Sukkot, when you say Hashem brought you, have you dwell in Sukkot, he means a location called Sukkot. Which could only mean, seemingly, the one that's in Source 5. Sukkot, outside of Ramses, Right? Chachamim omim ein Sukkot elam. Sorry, that's Sukkot Mamash. I take it back. This is Rebbe Liaz. Rebbe says Sukkot. Sukkot. What? Means list Sukkot. He comes to Sukkot. List Sukkot does list Sukkot, right? To the place called Sukkot, right here at the end. So Rebbe Liaz's opinion is Sukkot actually means sorry booths. How do we know that? Because why does Yaakov call his place Sukkot? Because he builds booths. Chachamim omim ein Sukkot elam makom. Sukkot is the name of a place. Okay, I misrepresented uh, a minute ago. Right. And then they say, In other words, we're looking here in Bashalach and Bigadol in Masay, where it lists the whole travelogue. And it says, just like Etam and Rafidim, and these are all places, so Sukkot's a place. So Chachamim's position is that what does Hoshav Dibnei I brought you to the town of Sukkot. What's Rebbe Lezer's position? I helped you build Sukkot. And of course, Rebbe Kiva here again says, Ain Sukkot Elan and Akavod. Now, Ain Sukkot Elan and Akavod is stronger than the Sifra. The Sifra, Rebbe Kiva says, Sukkot is Anan Akavod. All right, that's one suggestion. What does Ain Sukkot Elan and Akavod mean? It's a much stronger statement. The only meaning of Sukkot could be Anan Akavod. Where does Rebbe Kiva get that? So he gets that again from the, the Pasuk at the bottom of the page. Hashem takes, us out of, Hashem takes us out of Mitzrayim, and the first place he brings us to is called Sukkot. We ask the question, along with Rabbi Akiva, what the heck is there a place in Egypt doing with a Semitic name? And what's the next thing we hear as they leave Sukkot? There's a cloud protecting them, left and right. So what Rabbi Akiva does, he says, aha, when Yaakov comes to a place, he builds Sukkot and calls it Sukkot. What happens? Hashem takes us to a place, and as we leave it, there are clouds covering us, so we call it Sukkot. Because what do we mean by Sukkot? The clouds. Works perfectly. And now suddenly, and now it's not such a weird statement about Sukkot, it fits perfectly with the story in the text. All right? And you see the same thing in the Midrash Seichotov. And he says, Which means after 500 miles, that's what he says. They got 500 miles in the desert, and they set up Sukkot. This is way after Yamsuf. And by the way, he says, 
What is Hoshavti? I caused you to dwell there. Now remember the problem with Hoshavti? If Hoshavti is under the Akavod, I get it. God makes the clouds. But if Hoshavti is Sukkot, what did God do for Sukkot? Right? God didn't build Sukkot. He says, aha, uh-huh. what does Hoshavti mean? I allowed you to live in Sukkot. What's the Midrash say? Sukkot are like gazebos. Meaning, there were kings sit. Take a look at the language. When slaves run away, they hide. When kings take a journey and they want to rest, they sit in an open place. They're not afraid of anybody. The fact that when you came to the desert, I allowed you to live in Sukkot is because I took you out with such power that nobody's going to hurt you. So now you're seeing more and more rays, different refractions of the light of Sukkot, with all sorts of multiple meanings, but suddenly there's a new theme coming in here, which is, up till now the theme seemed to be about independence and freedom and protection. Now it seems about power, about us being able to sit like kings in a position of power, not a position of fear. So you turn the page, and you'll see that that um, the Rashbam goes in a very different direction. I'll just summarize the Rashbam here, because uh, concerned for time. But the Rashbam here, and you see in Source 10, takes a very different direction. As you know, the Rashbam is always looking at things independently, right? And he says, and he asks the question, why is Sukkot in the fall? And he says, because exactly for that reason, you are now enjoying all of the plenty. You have all of this great stuff. And what is the big danger that Sefer Dvarim continues to warn us about whenever things are good? I did it myself. So, so what do you have to remember? You have to remember the life in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. What's Yitzhak Mitzrayim about? In Parshat Ekev, we're told, Hashem takes you through the desert and, and afflicts you and everything else to remind you that your food comes from God. So what do we do every year? When we're at the apex of our plenty, we go outside and put ourselves in God's hands to remind ourselves that this stuff is not ours, it's God's. It's a very powerful statement. It's a beautiful Rashbam. Um... The Ramban takes the position, again, of Ananea Kavod. It's not surprising he would take that. And he indeed connects it with the Ananea Kavod, as we saw in Sukkot, leaving Mitzrayim, right? And um, that we have to constantly remember the nace that when we left Mitzrayim, Hashem is with us every step of the way. Protection, food, sustenance, everything, every step of the way has a constant reminder of Hashem's role in our life. That's and the Ramban. The Ramban um, uh, doesn't necessarily address um, um, the, uh, the, the timing of the, of the holiday. But now we get to something which is, anytime you open up, it's fascinating. Um, in, uh, a little bit of a backstory to this. Uh, in 1975, a scholar from uh, Switzerland, or in particular of Yitzhak Lange, published a manuscript of the Chidushim of Rabbi Yehuda, a Perushim really, of Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid al Torah. Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid, who was sort of the founder or the flagship rabbi, if you will, of the Franco-German pietists, we call Hasidic Ashkenaz. 13th century, Regensburg, wrote Sefer Hasidim, right? very famous circle uh, that sort of operated in tandem with the Balea Tosfot, but uh, you know, at the same time, in the same place. And Rabbi Hasid himself never wrote a commentary on the Torah, but he said explanations of the Torah, 
that his son wrote down. So every one of the explanations starts with Amar Mem Aleph, Mori Avi, or Aleph Mem Avi Mori, and then he gives the, the thing. And so there were several manuscripts about it. Evidently, it had been quoted by other Rishonim, but they never really had it printed. And so he found from his own manuscripts and published it, and it created an amazing firestorm. Because there were several comments in there that were just so different and heretical sounding that the response, a very famous tshuva of Moshe Feinstein, the response was, there's no way in the world that Rabbi Yudachasid ever said anything like that, because he can't say something that goes against what we believe, and therefore it must be a forgery. So Yitzhak Halanga agreed, and later republished it without the three most uh, exacerbating uh, uh, comments, and it still was in Cheyram and everything else. I have, I have a copy of the original. Um, and um, but I've talked to several experts in the field, and they're all in in uh, in uh, in agreement that it is absolutely legitimate. It really is the very Hasid. And the reality, and there's been a, a bit of of study revived in the last ten years into his perush and uh, some of the implications. And the truth is that a lot of the other statements he made are also quite interesting, although not as button pushing. So here, Rabbi Yochazid says something again innovative. Take a look at this in Source 12. Alright? Zachorani, this is his son writing, that my father, my master, explained, Lanu, me and the circle of students, So first of all, this Pasuk is in Vayikra. When is Vayikra said? Vayikra said in the, first, in the second year. Right? They spend the year, and then they build the Mishkan. And after the Mishkan is built, then Hashem dictates Sefer Vayikra to Moshe. So it's in the second year. He said, my father told me that this Pasuk was actually said in the 40th year. Meaning, as Moshe Rabbeinu is saying Tvarim and, and saying goodbye. Kshechanu be'avot mu'at. Vayuchonim ba'sukot. Where were they camped? In Sukkot. By the way, which Sukkot is this? <coughs> It's not the Sukkot that's in Egypt. So let's go back a little bit. Yaakov builds a town called Sukkot. Because he builds Sukkot, he calls it Sukkot. Where is Sukkot? So Sukkot, if you drive up Road 90, you know where Road 90 is. Road 90 goes from, actually, a lot, but we take it from <coughs> Fort Yericho all the way up to Beitshan. The takes you on the Jordan Valley. If you go about halfway up from Yericho to Beit Shan, over to the side of the road, and you take a look, you can see where the Yabok comes in, and at that fork, there's a little, you can see a little bit of a settlement. That area is called Tel Dir Allah, it's a dig, it's an important dig, that's where we found that Bilam inscription, and that is Sukkot of Tanakh. That's where Yaakov had Sukkot. Sukkot, by the way, shows up later, as you see here in the story, uh, um, no, I didn't quote it in here, but Gidon, uh, also uh, comes to Sukkot as part of his travels when he's chasing the Midianim. <coughs> That's also called Sukkot. So what does Rabbi Yorachazid say? When Bnei Israel were camped in Avot Moab, they stayed in Sukkot, meaning Yaakov's Sukkot, not the one in Egypt. And then Hashem says, oh, and don't forget that I caused you to live in Sukkot. What is, who cares about that Sukkot? See, I get why the one in Egypt is important, because I took you out, and the first non-Egyptian town you came to was Sukkot. I get it. All right? But why is this significant to that? Keep reading. This is interesting because it's going to take us into a very different direction that you would not have guessed. 
What were they doing while they were living in Sukkot? They were conquering cities. Which cities? Where, what, what cities were they conquering under Moshe Rabbeinu? What cities were they conquering when they were dwelling in Sukkot? The answer is the cities of Sichon, the East Bank. They're conquering that. Hashem Tzivah Midbar Sinai, in other words, in Midbar Sinai, Hashem commanded Sukkot. Right? Just, you have to live in Sukkot. Okay? Um, but Moshe added the reason now, meaning Hashem commanded us Sukkot. And by the way, Rabbi Chassid here is saying exactly what we've been talking about, which is multiple reasons for the same thing. Hashem commands us to live in Sukkot because of the clouds. Hashem commands us to live in Sukkot because of the first town outside of Egypt. Whatever it is. And then what does Moshe Rabbeinu add? You should always remember that you right now we're staying in Sukkot as you were having your first successful conquest on the East Bank. Right? And Rehudachas takes it one step further. He says, you know why Hashem commanded you 38 years ago to live in Sukkot? I mean, for, in perpetuity? Because he, he knew that in 38 years later, you're going to be living in the town of Sukkot and conquering cities. So this that means that Sukkot now becomes a zecher to what part of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? We've had protection. We've had comfort of kings, and now we've had successful conquerors. Do you understand how the broad range that we've got? We're not done with that. This is the question I asked at the beginning. What's the range of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? So you said either crossing the border, maybe crossing Yamsuf, maybe Mamad Arsinai. What does he say? Until you get into the West Bank, it's called Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So being on the East Bank and fighting those wars, you're still in the middle of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So therefore it can fit when Hashem says, I had you sit in Sukkot when I took you out of Mitzrayim, still works 40 years later, 39 years later. Right? And it says, um, And he proves it. Because in describing the war against Sichon and Og, right, in the descriptions later in Tanakh, it says that Hashem helped you defeat Sichon and Og when he took you out of Mitzrayim. Well, that's in the 40th year, and that's on the East Bank of the Jordan. That's still called Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So suddenly it gets broader, and now we're going to take one step further and connect something that we've absolutely avoided in this entire year. Because Sukkot is made up of two elements. There's the Sukkah and there's the Arba Minim. Good. Right? So Sukkah, we've looked at a lot of different angles about what the Sukkah is about and what the word Sukkot is a reference to in Torah. <coughs> We have a, uh, I would say, a very bizarre custom, but that's like goes without saying, because we're all about bizarre customs. But starting on next Thursday, a week from tomorrow morning, we're going to march around Shul and say the single most used word for the whole week, which is Hoshana. Hoshana, 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 over and over and over and over. We're going to surround it once. We're going to go around a second time. On Shabbat, we're going to go without Lulav. And then we're going to do it every day. And then on the seventh day, we're going to go how many times? A lot. Seven times. Mm-hmm. Right? One time every day, seven times the last day. That should remind you of something. All right? And the, the Talmud Yushami actually says, In the Mikdash, they would go around seven times. How did the war against Yericho go? They went around Yericho once, they went around Yericho once, they went around once, they went around once, they went around once, they went once, they went seven times. Which means suddenly the Arba Minim are taking on not a celebration of Jewish unity, 
not a celebration of the different climes of Eretz Yisrael. These are all Midrashic ideas. Not a celebration of the different types of people who exist or the different parts of the body, the spine and the eyes and the etc. But war. War. So watch this Midrash and Midrash Tanchuma. Fascinating Midrash. We're going to really end with this. I just want to show you what Source 15 is about. But end with this and then just bring it all together. The Midrash Tanchuma in Emor says on the Pasuk Lachem Lachem Bayam Rishon to take the Arba meaning. The day will come when all the trees are going to sing. Right? There are people I've said, I've heard say, that that's referring to when everything's digital and we don't have as much paper. Right? Anyways. The Midrash says, who's talking about? It's the Jews and the nations of the world. By the way, there's a common Midrashic theme of a day of judgment. It's kind of based on the last end of Sefer Yoel. A day of judgment where the Jews and the, and the, rest, of the, and the rest of the world are going to be brought before God. And he's going to judge the rest of the world for what they've done to us. That whole piece. And it's always tied in, in Midrash. It's often, not always, often tied in with Chagas Sukkot based on the passage at the, end of, at the end of Zechariah that all the nations have to celebrate Sukkot. The famous, famous Haggadah in the beginning of Havodah Zarah where the nations are going to say, how come you didn't give us a chance? Okay, I'll give you mitzvah kala, a simple mitzvah, which is sukkah, and then he makes it very hot, and they kick the sukkah off. Very famous piece about it. So he says, Now what happens? HaKadosh Baruch Hu judges everybody in Yom Kippur. Everybody. Everybody goes into Deen. Now notice, Minotzeach assumes that it's not everybody's coming in to be judged, but they're rather they're suing each other. We don't know who's going to win, right? Um, what's it like? Two guys walk in for, for judgment. One's guilty, one's innocent. Nobody knows what the result is. The king only only thing he knows. So when a guy walks out and he's got a lance in his hand, he's the winner, right? And the other guy walks out maybe with his head in his hand. Who knows? Watch this. Israel. Nobody knows who wins. What does Hashem say? Take your lance in your hand. Take your lulav in your hand. What happens? So everybody will know that you are zochabadin. Right. That's when all of the trees sing because they're all being held up, as it were, as a sign of victory. Right? They wait four more days. Everybody will know we won, and then what do we do? We walk in with this victory lance, the lulav. The arba meaning in this midrash, and then going back to the hashanot on the zechel libicho, are now presented as a commemoration of and a symbol of Am Yisrael's power. Now you double that up with Rabbi Yehuda Hasid. Who said, why, we cause, why does Hashem have us sit in Sukkot? To remember that we sat in Sukkot when we were doing what? We were conquering the land. Which, of course, dovetails real beautifully with the Arba Minim, representing the four different climes of Eretz Yisrael, and Sukkot being a celebration of the fruit of Eretz Yisrael. Now, what have we seen over the last half hour, 35 minutes? We've seen that the Torah uses one simple phrase, Kiva Sukkot, Toshav Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael. And everybody's got a problem with some component of it. We know what a sukkah is. Sukkah is a booth. It's man-made. 
And yet Hushavti is, I caused you to sit in. So Rakiva says, it must be Ananim, Ananiah Kavod. And he's got support from the description of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which right after we leave the town called Sukkot, is Ananim. Rebbe Leezer says, no, Sukkot means Sukkot. And Hoshavti means, I let you, you know, I gave you the material, the opportunity. Then we have Chachamim who turn around and say, Sukkot's the name of a city. I caused you to live in that city. Rabbi Chassid comes along and says, yes, it's a city, but city at the end of the road. And it's about conquest. Well, who's right? They're all right. Everybody has a valid perspective on Sukkot. And it's not that... I mean, it's true that whichever appeals to me most and I can connect with, and that's an important part of the wide tent of Torah. But it's not just that. It's that we also have to respect that the other perspective is also a valid perspective. And you notice that nobody at this point challenges. Nobody turns out and says, you're wrong for this reason. Rather, I got the right reason, but rather, here's another perspective on it. Which, if you think about it, is very beautiful connection with Sukkot. You know, what's the, what's the maximum, uh, minimum height of a Sukkot? Ten tfachim. What's the maximum height? Twenty amot. What's the minimum width? Seven by seven tfachim. What's the maximum width? No maximum. You could have a sukkah that's as big as LA. Why? So the Gemara says something phenomenal. It says in, in second parak of sukkah, Nachav Zayin, says, Kol ha'ezrach b'Yisrael Yeshua Sukkot. That's the, the, the Torah says. Kol ha'ezrach b'Yisrael, all members of Israel, Yeshua Sukkot. How is Sukkot spelled there? Samachav Tav. Which means, you could read it as the Sukkot, meaning all of Am Yisrael lives in one Sukkot. Ru'uyim kol Yisrael leshev tachat Sukkot. All of Am Yisrael can live in one Sukkot. Now that's, that's learned halachically to say you don't need to own the Sukkot like you own the Lulav. You can sit in somebody else's Sukkot and be Yotze. Right? But it also, on an ideological level, <coughs> creates a certain amount of uh, power to the openness of a sukkah and the fact that theoretically all of Amisrael should be able to live in one sukkah. And by the way, I can live in a sukkah and I can look up and I can see Yitzhak Mitzrayim protection. And you can look up and you see Yitzhak Mitzrayim machut. And you can look up and see Yitzhak Mitzrayim conquest. And you can look up and say Yitzhak Mitzrayim, first town called Sukkot. And we're all living in one sukkah and appreciating what Sukkot is with all the variegated meanings that come with it.